To bring it all full circle, it started out with the story of the Boundary Waters. I was with my son who started out the trip as a seven-year-old. Early, early one morning, my son was still sleeping. I said, I'm going to portage everything ahead to the next lake so we can get a quick start when my son wakes up. was kind of being kind of stupid in hindsight because I was in such a hurry. I wanted to get it done and get back before my son woke up, carrying about a 60-pound pack, and I was kind of half jogging and got to a spot on the trail where there was a, a steep downhill that was covered in pine needles. My right foot slipped and I hit something firm. My foot planted and my and I felt a crunch and my right leg snapped. And so there we were a long way from safety and I've got a broken leg. My right ankle was, uh, was also dislocated. I was quite a ways from camp and this is in an area, this is a wilderness area. There's no cell signal. There's no nothing. So there we are. With one hand, I grabbed my foot to kind of stabilize my foot. Then with my free hand and my good leg, I did kind of a modified crab walk and and butt scoot to get back to camp. My foot was kind of flopping around like it wasn't really connected real well to my leg. I thought I had a tib-fib fracture a couple inches above my ankle. Woke my son up, told him trip's over, we're heading back. I'd already been through my first aid kit in my day pack. So I knew exactly what I had to work with. I knew exactly what we needed to do. So he went out and got a couple of uh, like nice straight one inch sticks and uh, built the splint. And when I, when I had the splint on, my, my foot was stabilized so well that I was able to do anything. I could get up, I could walk, not walk. I mean, I couldn't put any weight on it, but I could get up and move. Then we got out, got to the lodge, drove to Grand Marais where we finally had a signal and I called the ER where I worked and got the x-rays and finally got to see exactly what I knew <laughs> what I knew five seconds after I hit the ground. So that's kind of my story from my recent adventure. There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of our outdoor pursuits. We kind of went into Paul's story, and I think there's a couple things to take away from that. One is experience rules overall in situations like that. You asked for a negative 30 degree bag when you were 16 for Christmas, which nobody does. And then on top of that, you have your ER experience and you, you have the experience of bringing a kid into the situation. Cause we didn't touch on it too much, but like that wasn't your kid's first experience in the boundary waters. He'd been out there before. You mentioned teaching him to be prepared if something happened to you. Yeah. And I think you mentioned when he was six years old, I took him on a trip and, and did that, to, to, you know, said, hey, if, if I'm not responding, if I'm not talking, if I'm not moving, here's what you need to do. And, and being a six-year-old, like you, and like you mentioned, that's a, a horrific situation to even think about. Mm-hmm. But to make sure that he was prepared for that is paramount. I mean, when you think about a young, a young guy like that with his going out with his dad and if something were to happen. So maybe you could, you could kind of touch on that just a bit of the, the prevention 
and preparation of, cause I think all of us are kind of sitting here in awe. Joe had mentioned having you on and just when you hear, when you hear it straight from, from, from you, all of these things are just, I'm inspired. I mean, it's super intense and anything that I've done that I think has been difficult, I've thought, well, man, I'll remember back and say, well, Paul did this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I better suck it up, you know, and, and, and handle my business. So it, it's really been a treat. And, you know, hopefully the listeners are, are understanding what they're hearing because you, you've done some things that just a handful of people have ever even attempted to do. So it's really yeah. cool. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, before getting into the wilderness first aid and what to do in the, you know, in the wilderness when there's a situation, there's, like you said, the planning and, prevention you know going you know like i said going back to the you know i was a boy scout when i was a kid and the boy scout motto was be prepared and that seems that seems kind of trite but it's i mean it's it's really it's really important and i think back on all the you know a lot of the crazy stuff i did and some of the stuff i was in so far over my head but but you know i always had a because of the boy scout stuff i always had a first aid kit i always had a good experience with, you know, I had good knowledge of, of old school map and compass navigation. And then I was in on, I was in on GPS from the ground, you know, from the, from day one when it came out and, you know, so I was always fairly well prepared, but experience wise, there were some times where I was, you know, I was in way over my head. Uh, I was trying on, you know, I was trying stuff that I was, that I had no business doing, but, but didn't get into it totally stupid because I was at least, at least somewhat prepared more. I I would say more than a lot of people. I mean, now with social media, there's people that are, you know, they see the, you know, they see the Instagram or they hear uh, a story or, or, you know, they see a YouTube video and they get all fired up about it and they're all, they're charging into stuff that, they have no business doing. You hear about that becoming more and more commonplace these days. Um, I've never been that woefully unprepared or, or over my head. Um, I think the, you know, I mean, one of the perspectives that I have from, from experience as, as a, an endurance athlete for over half my life is that the first, the, one of the most important things, and it's always, it's really overlooked, is is preparing your body. I mean, you you cannot be in too good a shape. And I hear about the things y'all are doing, and, and I, you know, I know I know that you can never be too in shape to go elk hunting. No matter what, you'll always wish. No matter who you are, no matter what caliber athlete you are, you'll always wish you're in better shape when you're in the mountains elk hunting. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. And and. And that's just the enjoyment part of it. That's just, you're going to be most effective as a hunter and really enjoy yourself out there if you're physically capable to do it. Yeah. But what's, what people don't really think about is like the very first, the very first most important thing in a, in a, in a real emergency situation is the body that you're starting out with and what it's going to take to get out. Um, you know, there's people that are just woefully out of shape trying to do some extreme stuff that is probably way over their head. And it's fine if the conditions are right, if everything goes ex- exactly to planned. But if one thing happens and it's not according to plan, you're in trouble. You know, you're in trouble. And I, I, 
I think uh, if you're going, no matter what it is, it could be backcountry fishing, backpacking, um, certainly backcountry uh, backcountry hunting. You know, my 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 injury occurred carrying a heavy pack. A little bit different setting, but it's exactly what it's exactly what mountain hunting. Yep, totally. Did, that's what you're. I doing. think about it every time. And that's yep. your bread and butter. I mean, you're every step every step you take counts. It's intentional. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really intentional. Yeah. You know, as a trail runner, I had run thousands of miles on rocky, rooty, gnarly trail. And never, th- you know, and I had fallen, oh my God. I mean, I have no idea how many times yeah. I've fallen down when I'm trail running. You get tired, you catch a toe, you go, you just, you know, you go down. And there's times when you're on some really sketchy trail and you think, oh, this would be a really bad place to fall. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you're going to just ragdoll. In that, but other than those moments, it's the only time you think about it. Otherwise, you're just running, just like you have in the other thousands of miles that you logged. You don't think anything of it. I mean, before I hurt my before my before my leg broke, I was running. I was I was running on the same trail, which mm-hmm. a lot of people would think it's stupid to be out running in a wilderness area when you're so far from from help. But I do it. Lots and lots and lots of other trail runners are doing it all the time. I was going to say, compared to where you've been. Being in the Boundary Waters Trail running is not super secluded no, compared to where no. you've been and yeah, what you've the, done. The Boundary Waters Canoe Area is kind of entry level wilderness area. It's the most um, the most visited wilderness no. area in the United States. There's a lot of people. If you get into trouble, really all you got to do is get to the edge of the lake, yeah, and take care of whatever needs to be taken care of, and just wait because yep. somebody's coming. There. Unless you're there, yeah. you know. Unless you're there you know, right before ice up or something like that, you know, it get the crowd gets pretty thin, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially when we are out there, we're, we're far from alone. In fact, it's the other, it's the opposite problem. It's too many people and the musical chairs to get a campsite. Right. Right. <laughs> it's cool. It's been cool to hear from, from your perspective, Paul. And, and honestly, you know, I think as much of an inspiration, it's kind of a warning to, to people, Hey, don't, don't, don't bite off more than you can chew. Like you said, you can't be in good enough shape for some of the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. You should always fit physical fitness should just in life, the more physically fit you are and you you know, and you can speak to this as being in the medical industry, the more physically fit you are, the better off you are when something happens, the faster you can recover. You, there's just so much there's so much behind that and pushing yourself physically to be prepared for situations I think is important. We, when I go to Alaska every year, that's one of the things that you just, you can't preach it enough to people that are coming up there. And as much as you think you're prepared, once you get there, you realize I should have been a little more prepared. It's just how it is. It's just the nature of the beast. Not only preparing your body, but also along the way, if you're, if you're whatever it is, it doesn't have to be running, but whatever, you know, it could be, it could be, um, you know, it could be training with a pack. It could be anything, but do it in all conditions and get, get, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it, whatever it is you do, if you do it in all seasons and all conditions, you learn how to take care of yourself. You learn how to feel uncomfortable. You learn you little little bits and pieces. You kind of you kind of start to recalibrate what you think miserable feels like. Yeah, and you know I think back and like what I thought was hard or what I thought hurt, 
10 or 20 years ago is like, that was like nothing <laughs> compared to what I've been through. And so if you're trained, not only are you going to be fit and enjoy your hunt or your backcountry um, fly fishing or whatever it is you do, not only will you enjoy it more, you'll be safer. Um, but the, not, not only, not only are you, gonna, are you trained physically, but just so the, all the other things about just taking care of your body and feeling uncomfortable. I'm cold. I'm cold. I'm wet. Well, I've been cold and wet before. Yeah. I just, you know, keep, you know, you keep pushing or, or knowing when you're, knowing when you're pushing too hard and you need to pull back a little bit that you, you, you get a lot of that experience training. And if you're not doing it, the seven, eight, nine days that you're in the mountains on a hunt, that's not a lot of time to learn. Yeah. And, and I think a big thing on that too, is you have to react in those situations. You can't just sit there and say, I'm cold and I'm wet. It's I'm cold and I'm, and I'm wet. What do I need to do about it? Yeah. And you need to either get up it's and keep move moving. It's get dry. Get dry. It's yeah. Right. It's, and it's, it's literally tackling each one of those things, one task at a time and working your way through it. It's as simple as that. But the problem is I think, like kind of what I was getting at earlier is I think a lot of people get in those situations, they have no experience in it at all. And all of a sudden they're put in this situation and they panic. Yeah. And they don't know what to do. Well, yeah, you need that, to- that list that you just went through becomes an explosion of this is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And it's 12 different things that I need to do right now. Yeah. Instead of, you know, in a, in a way, strategically look at each of them and say, what do I need yeah. to do? Yeah. Um, would this, you know, serve to, you know, remedy the situation with this, with this, with this, and go down the list. And I the think list. that's where like, logically if the ultra running experience is huge. Cause you and I have both been in that situation where it's, this is wrong. What do I need to do to fix it? And you start running through and evaluating each and everything. Mm-hmm. And then until you find that one thing that fixes it. And I think that's, that's where like, kind of like we talked before on a different episode about like, how do you mentally prepare for something like, like a Western hunt or like, you know, being ready for that kind of situation. And I think that's, that's a huge thing is like, if you get, if you're physically capable of it, go sign up for an ultra. Well, yeah. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to learn how to take care of yourself and you're not going to learn how to, you're not going to, you're not going to learn how to feel comfortable when you're miserable by watching more YouTube videos. No, right, right. No. I was going to say the nice thing about that is they, is a, not always, but a lot of times they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Physically being, being, being dis, in discomfort physically, a lot of times goes hand in hand with mentally. Mm-hmm. And when you have pushed yourself in those increments to a place where you like, and you hit it on nail on the head, Paul, when you said, I've, I've been there before I've been cold before. I've been wet before. I know for me, I can remember specifically back to a moment in a tree stand hunting white-tailed deer that I've been the coldest I've ever been in my life. And I know what that felt like. And I know when I hit that threshold to say, okay, now it's just dangerous and I need to leave. But but now, every time I sit in the deer stand and it's cold, I I think back to that time. And I say, I'm not as cold as I was then. So I can, I can push a little <laughs> yeah, further, yeah. but you gotta, you gotta have that mindset. And, and that's one of the nice things about being physically fit is working out w- however you like to do that, pushing yourself, whether it's riding a bike, you know, and you're like, well, I've gone, I've gone 70 miles at this pace and 
you you know, okay, well, I've I've gone eighty, you know, and and there's these things that you can remember back to. I think of that that kind of thing as you're kind of talking about these grand experiences and anybody who's listening that wants to experience some of these things or do some of these things or push the limits, the physical and mental aspect are what are going to carry you through that. The knowledge that goes hand in hand with those things. I mean, the the biggest thing for me in Alaska is it's very physical, but the the biggest thing is just 30 days. Yeah. And that's what I was That's the mental part. Yeah. That's the mental part. I I know now physically I can get through the majority of any of it that I've experienced in these last years, but the, but the mental part of 30 days when day 20 comes and I know I have 10 more of this and I got to wake up and do this again and I got to wake up and do it again and again. And, and those are the things that I think you can, that build your character. And we live unfortunately in a society right now where being challenged is not championed enough. Right. You know, and, yeah. and letting ourselves be put in uncomfortable places, whether it's our ideology or our physicality. Yeah. We're you know? in a society where most people of ordinary means in our culture can go cradle to grave without ever getting uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, period. Mm -hmm. yep. Without ever knowing what hunger feels like, without ever knowing what it feels like to be cold or hot or you know, exhausted, like, like you're like, you think you're going to die exhausted. Yeah. People don't feel that you, you can go your entire life without feeling challenged by any of those things. But back to the, to the preparation and prevention thing. When I say training, I mean, all, you're, you're, you're hitting on, you're hitting on some other things that I'm not even thinking of. It's all of that. It's the, the physical preparation, but along just in the, in the process of getting physically prepared, you're learning, nutrition, hydration, you're, you're getting, you're getting lots of experience feeling uncomfortable, cold, wet, hot, um, tired, hungry, you know, teetering on the bonk state and just mm -hmm. you know, all those things become pretty ordinary. Yep. And so when it gets tough, something happens and it's tough in the mountains of Alaska or Montana or whatever, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's a key to that is that, you know, it's just the experience you've had, like Brian was saying earlier, like I've been colder than this or I'm on a bike ride while I've gone 80 miles. And that's kind of what we talked about again on another podcast was for me, I couldn't sit in a tree stand to save my life when I was a kid. But once I started doing endurance sports and started running and like ran a marathon, I'm sitting in a tree stand going, I can sit in this longer than yeah. four hours. <laughs> part of it, yeah. I'm gonna make this tree stand my bitch. <laughs> yeah, part of it for for I guess I I haven't done any like extreme races or anything like that, <clears throat> but I've I've gone on solo trips and um and I I didn't read anything or it I guess the information really wasn't out there, um but the biggest thing for me is people would freak out. What you're going to the Boundary Waters and you're doing a solo trip. Are you nuts? What if you die? And it's like, then I die. But I'm doing something <laughs> I love to do. What if I die? And that's I maybe that's the whole thing is mentally just saying, I could die. But am I gonna do the thing that I love to do the most? And if you can get over that hurdle, maybe you can get to those other levels of being able to to mentally prepare for, okay, well, if I die it, so be it. But 
I can also get out of this too. Yep. And let, yeah. let me try it. Let's try to get out of this now mm-hmm. because a lot of people hit the panic button and they shut down. They're like, well, what if I die now? What? Where, where if you go into it, it's like, okay, well I could, I could potentially die. So now it's, let's problem solve. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting that to bring that, you know, and we're getting pretty philosophical, which is good at times, <laughs> but we do I, this when it gets late. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I heard, a I heard a, a world war two veteran share some, some thoughts on a leader that he had. And this was, this was in kind of the heat of battle. And, and after the battle, this, this gentleman, he froze up during the heat of battle and gunfire and he just kind of fell down into his foxhole and froze up and and didn't fire a shot and he said that this this captain later said to him once you once you realize that you're already dead then you can start to operate as a soldier yeah and it was kind of that moment he said that that helped him realize if that's the way that I view this uh, then I can, I can then push that aside and begin to think about the realities of the things that I need to do to operate as a soldier. And obviously, we're talking about something that's far more intense than <laughs> than right. recreation. But it, the same principle I think applies. Is that like you said, Chad? You people say, well, what if you die? Well, what if you get hurt? Well, what if? Well, I'd rather die or get hurt doing something that I am super passionate about than die or get hurt crossing the street yeah, and right. getting hit by a car. You know, I, that I've, if that's where it's going to happen, then let it happen there. And, and, you know, I think, I think for the most part, that's why a lot of people, they don't take risks is always that universal question. What if, what if this happens? Well, Paul, you, you, you're like, and it's unbelievable to hear you say it as you're running these winter races and then the Iditarod and 350 miles and these things. Well, sure, the what if is always going to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's every time it's going to yeah. be there. It's not that we ignore it. Well, no, we embrace it. We know it's there, but we're not going to let that stop us from continuing and progressing in what, what our goals are. Well, and I'd take it even further with Paul had a different what if you know, going into the winter races. What if this knee thing comes back and I That's can't ever walk incredible. again? Incredible. One thing I really applaud Paul on is not just the endurance stuff and everything else, but his attitude is just phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm. when this all happened, I saw like a hint of it on Facebook and I called Paul to ask him, you know, what was going on, what had happened and whatever. And we were talking and he explained like what had happened and you know how long he's going to be out of work and all this and most guys are like you know I don't know what to do this is you know this is terrible whatever and Paul goes no I kind of came to terms with it and just said you know what this is going to be the because Paul in the position he is at work you work what just real quick average hours in a week in the summertime sixty to eighty. <laughs> 60 to 80. So he doesn't sleep. <laughs> he doesn't do yeah. anything but work. I usually work a lot in the summer. And yeah. It's 12 and 16 hour shifts and I'm on my feet you know, most of the time. So he, and he's got a young kid. Yeah. And so Paul's attitude in this situation was, I just decided that I'm going to make this the best, most memorable summer I can possibly make with my kid, which is awesome. Most guys have something like this happen and they break down, they shut down yep. and they go, go to GoFundMe and say, I need help. Yeah, <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Paul's going, 
no, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've really tried to look at it as opportunity, you know, just with, to have all that quality time with my son and, and also challenge, like, I got to do that. I can do, I can do that with one leg. I just got to figure out how. Yep. It's either just grit or problem solving, but this isn't going to, this isn't going to, this isn't going to take too much off the table. Well, yeah. and you last weekend texted me, or last weekend, last week, you set up another trip in the Boundary Waters in, what, a week or two weeks from now? Yeah, in the in the middle of July. Yeah. So right now I'm just four weeks past uh, surgery to <laughs> put the uh, put the rods in. So I got, but partly because of um, all the running and everything like that, I'm on a pretty accelerated uh um, treatment plan. I was, I never got a cast. I went into a cam boot, uh, one week after my surgery and I got to take, I got to take my foot, I, I got to take my foot out of that boot and, and kind of do foot pumps and a little bit of easy range of motion stuff. Um, just one week after the surgery and got all this titanium in my leg. And then I was 50% weight bearing two weeks after the surgery and I've got, my fibula has got about a three-inch gap where there's just nothing but debris. I mean, it's just bits and pieces. Oh. I had a comminuted fracture of my fibula, which means that's the medical term for shattered. So I've got a, oh, there's a rod in there, and I have a rod and screws on this side and screws on this side. But the the um, my surgeon said that my bone was like, um, it was like drilling in a rock. So he wanted me to get up and, and start start using my ankle joint and putting weight on it as soon as possible. And I'm like, you know, we just shot a fresh x-ray before I, before I saw him. And I'm like, that's not healed. That's just <laughs> bits and pieces. <laughs> He's oh like, the rod's going to hold you up. The bone will heal. Don't worry about that. We're worried about the joint and you need to, the, the more you can be using the joint, the better your outcome. So I was 20, I was 50% weight bearing after two weeks I just passed uh, the four-week mark, and now I'm 100% weight bearing. I've been walking. Um, I've been walking on it for. Well, I st- I, get, I got a head start. I've been walking on it for probably a week now. That's just crazy. That's incredible. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so we're going back. Um, I got a permit. where I won't have to portage a lot. Um, if I can't, if I if I'm not cleared to to put more weight on it than my own body weight, then I have to then I have to um, have crutches on the portage to, to accommodate the weight of the pack and the weight of the canoe with my son. He's eight. He's got a, he's got a nice pack and he carries quite a bit, but we still double portage. So I take the canoe across on the first trip. We go back and I get the big pack. So it's one pack and a canoe. That's it. And then he's got his pack. So he's got his, he's got clothes He's got some toys, some stuffed animals. Nice. <laughs> you know, he's a kid. <laughs> yeah, that's but great. I might be portaging with crutches to accommodate the the extra weight that I'm may or may not be allowed to put on that. I won't know. I have my next follow up appointment in a week, and then we're going back again in in August. But awesome. back to the preparation part of it. Um, we 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 got we definitely got long long winded about the physical and training part of it, but also the just the first aid and having a, having a plan, you know, the, the basics of having someone know where you're going and what you're doing. I had a spot tracker. 
Um, there was no point when we ever thought about pushing the button because there was, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, we, you know, we didn't have any, we didn't really have any trouble getting out and, but we had a spot tracker and, um, I've got a first aid kit that is in a gallon size Ziploc bag. And, uh, we talked about this a bit. I, you know, I do medic, I do some medical volunteering at the trail races and I have a, a 33 liter Osprey pack of mine that is full of medical stuff, but on a backpacking or canoe or canoe tripping, um, situation, you need a small, a small first aid kit, but I had a roll of, you know, there's a roll of athletic tape in there. And I think if every situation is different, what you're doing in Alaska or hunting in the mountains, or maybe it's the desert, every situation is completely different. And, First, you better know you better know about the area you're going to and what the risks are and what what the potential what what potential problems could arise, and then and then plan and then plan from there. That's going to have some bearing on what kind of first aid kit you have, what kind of nutrition you have, how much water you I know how much water carrying capacity you have. All that kind of stuff is is important to be able to take care of yourself and stay out of trouble before before trouble arises. But yeah. then. If there is an emergency, do you have the right stuff, and do you have the means to get yourself out? And if not, then then what? Yeah. In this case, it was a spot tracker. When I went to Alaska, I had a Garmin InReach, so I was able to do texting. <laughs> I didn't reactivate my Garmin when I when I was doing this bond water trips because I just think, oh, this is. I mean, this is like you know. <laughs> backyard adventure from i mean i've done this kind of stuff enough that it's you know it's kind of not that much bigger the deal than car camping at a state park or something you know it's not that big of a deal so it didn't even cross my mind to to, uh spend the 60 dollars a month to reactivate my (laughs) inreach right and get the insurance so that if you do have to press the button it doesn't cost you yeah so i mean when i was laying there i thought oh I wish I had my Garmin right now, but then, <laughs> but then I thought about it. It wouldn't really change anything because yeah. we're getting out, but yeah. Yeah. I didn't have it. But you, you know, your the other topic was you know bringing children to the to the wilderness. Um, this happened when I was with a buddy of mine from college and my son. So it happened at a time when there was help. Last year I did uh, I did a couple other trips where it was where it was just my son and. And it was in the summertime in the boundary water, so it's not it's not far flung, remote, super extreme, crazy stuff. But it's still it's still serious enough that if you're bringing a kid, if you're if you're gonna do something stupid to yourself, you know, go for it. Yeah, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna learn some things the hard way, but you're probably gonna you'll probably get out of it. But if you're bringing a kid in there, it's a it's a different mindset totally. And honestly, and in hindsight now, I was so much more prepared when I when I was getting ready to take my son there for the first time. I was so much more I put so much more thought and attention into preparing for that that I hadn't. You know, when when things become comfortable, they can become comfortable almost your 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 comfort level can kind of become your own and your complacency can kind of become your biggest enemy. Yeah. And I had, and I was like that with a lot of things, but taking my son there made me 
really put a lot of uh, attention into planning that I hadn't been for a long time. So I had, um, not only did I, not only did I, um, you know, have a very conservative plan and was safety to the hilt on everything with, especially with him, but also myself, just being really careful. Um, I also had the spot tracker, um, and had the, even had the uncomfortable, um, and you touched on it, had the very uncomfortable conversation with my son to train him on how to use the spot tracker in the event that something happened to me. And in preparing for the wilderness, I think you need to spend the most time thinking of the, the highest, the, the, the stuff that's the most likely. Um, and, and in, in this type of travel and, and in probably most of what you're doing too, the biggest risks are wound and, and orthopedic injuries. Those are your biggest risks. That's 90% of it. You know, I've got, I also got some emergency medicine, you know, so most of my first aid kit is all the, you know, just the basics for, for, for cleansing and dressing a wound. Yep. And that, I mean, that 99% of the time, it's never going to go any further than that as far as what you need. Right. And then I had a roll of, you know, the roll of athletic tape will do everything that a Sam splint and all of, all the fancy splints will, um, I got some emergency meds, some Benadryl in case of a some kind of crazy, you know, allergy type situation. Um, that, I mean, that's it. It's it's pretty simple stuff, and knowing how to use it. Yeah, yeah. We d- the biggest thing we deal with in Alaska being that remote is we're just kind of we're really really careful about the moments that we're field dressing an animal or using using knives because that would be, you know, understanding that, you know, they call it in kind of backcountry first aid, the triangle of death between your knees and up in your groin, that area. Cause a lot of times you're standing in an awkward position, Those cutting big arteries. Yeah. Cutting on an animal and a, literally a slip, a slip there is you, you probably just don't have any time. You probably don't have enough time. That's interesting. I don't use a hatchet or an ax in the boundary waters. There's an awful lot of, there's an, I mean, in the boundary, canoe tripping, the biggest risk is on land, not on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and a ha- a hatchet or an ax when you're swinging it is an unnecessary risk. I have a small hatchet that I use for splitting. So if I'm sawing big stuff and I need to split it, I, I get it started and I just I just use it as a splitting wedge and I pound it in with a rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not swinging that thing. Yeah, because yeah. that's a big that's a that's a big risk and you you can you can have a good fire without swinging away with an axe. Oh yeah, right? yeah. We you, the other thing that I've done lately too is get a stout fixed blade knife and just baton everything yeah, yep. that that you need to. It's just a lot Same safer. Principle. Yeah, a lot safer than swing, mm-hmm. swinging a hatchet around. <laughs> so, so I think I think. This is kind of get. This is kind of techie, but in a in the in my former technical career, there's a thing called FMEA. It's an engineering term, failure mode and effects analysis. It's it's what NASA does. It's what engineers do. And you look at what can what is the probability of something to go wrong, and then also if something does go if some if a particular thing goes wrong, how bad will it be? And that, let that guide your your planning. That's how engineers design. I think of the same thing planning for 
like first aid and all the, you know, all these other things like plant packing for your first aid kit is this thing. You better be, you know, 95% of your preparation is on the stuff that's likely to happen, but you also better think of, you better also have the worst case scenario. And even if it doesn't involve a bunch of extra gear or, um, you know, a, a special preparation, you better at least think about it to think, just quick, give it a mental rehearsal of what would I do? Like bear spray in a cliff bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, a calm, friendly good morning. Right. <laughs> totally. No, that's, that is really good advice because when, and I think all of us need to do that, no matter what we're doing backcountry wise, we need to think, you know, what are some of the things that, that there's a probability that this could happen, you know, yep. and, and, to to think about that up front <clears throat> before you go is obviously going to be a lot better situation than trying to figure it out on the fly. Mm-hmm. You know, now, okay, now what? This deep cut on the inside of his leg, you know, now what are we going to do? And and what's actually going on here? And do we already have a plan? You know, yeah. because you see something like that. In depending on the environment you're in, then you know what your initial response is going to be. Mm-hmm. Instead of having to, you almost don't have to assess it as much because you know now, okay, this is this is too serious for the situation that we're in, and we can't handle this on our own. Or we can handle this on our own. You know, it 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 helps you to rehearse that way. Like I think I think a lot about rehearsing just bear spray using bear spray. Uh, are you going to get attacked by a grizzly? Probably not. Can it happen? Yep. So just like you said, well, if it can happen and I spend time in grizzly country, I should probably practice and see how quickly I can pull my spray out of its holster, get the, get the safety off and, and point it in a direction and, and, and rehearse that over and over. You know, and I just think a lot of us just don't do those type of things. And then unfortunately we pay for it. You know, I think, I think being ready for an emergency is just like one of those boring things that you don't spend any time on and you're not going to spend any money on it. When you have time, when you're thinking about getting ready for your trip, you're going to go back out and shoot your bow because that's fun. That's what you like doing. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, things like a spot tracker or Garmin inReach. You know when it comes time when it comes to when it comes time to actually spend money on safety. I mean, there, there's things that are overlooked. You know, like you don't you don't know you, you don't you don't think five hundred dollar rain gear is that important until you need it. Right. And, yep. <laughs> or you know, or like three hundred dollar boots might seem crazy, but if your feet are miserable, you're not having any fun. Yeah. Right. Right. There are some things that are just not the fun, sexy things to spend money on. And the the safety and preparation kind of stuff is probably at the bottom of that list. Yeah. Totally, yeah, it is. <laughs> but, Unfortunately, yeah. But if um, if you if you've got that stuff, or if, it, it, and some of that stuff doesn't even involve it doesn't even involve money. It's just it's just a little bit of thought rehearsal. That's not even that's not even fun. I mean, that's just it's just way more fun to go shoot your bow, yeah. or yeah. or you know. Or watch another, watch another hunting show. <laughs> right, yep. totally. totally. I think if one point, just to put the two things together about preparation and introducing, introducing young people to the wilderness experience, 
I mean, it's been, it was like some of the most meaningful, cool things I've ever done with my kid. I would not, I mean, what happened to me, I don't want to dissuade anyone from bringing their kids into that kind of stuff. If they're really ready for it, if the adult leader has got to be 150% ready for it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I would encourage people to do that, but if there's one takeaway in hindsight that I've learned from all of this, and it's kind of a mashup of the, of the two, of the two things it's that whether your kids are involved or not, you should you should prepare every trip like you're bringing your kid with you. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, with all the stuff that I'd done, I'd gotten so complacent and just way too comfortable. And you don't see you don't see risk and danger when it's right in front of your face because you've done been because you've been doing that stuff for so, so much. Yeah. I'd gotten really and I, I you know I'd gotten really sloppy. And a lot of a lot worse could have happened. At, at it, a lot worse could have happened in in other times when I was less prepared. But this has just made me really, really, really take a hard look at how I do everything. And I think the you know eventually, eventually this will wear off, and I'll go back to feeling comfortable and get slop- <laughs> and get sloppy again. But at least at least for a good long while, I I want I want to whether my even if it's my own adventure racing or my own my own backcountry experiences, in the back of my mind, I want to think, what would I be doing? What would I be doing to get ready if I was bringing my son with me? Wow, yeah. And and let that be your guiding principle when you're getting ready. Yeah, it, yeah. you you need That's to do more thinking. than just go back out and shoot your block some more. I think all of us guys are just we're just really privileged to have had you on and talk about these things. And we'll probably in the future need to catch up again and, and, and do another episode. But we just want to say thank you to everybody listening. Hopefully what you heard, I know it inspired us sitting here. So hopefully what you heard inspired you to, to kind of push the limits, but keep your head on straight. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you telling that story, especially that boundary water story, Paul, about your leg, because most people would kind of want to either hide that and not tell anybody, uh, or, or just, you know, blast it out everywhere. And, and what's cool about what you did, like Joe said, is it wouldn't even have known. Um, but you, you came on and you shared that. And I think it helps, I think it helps people kind of put into perspective the reality of what could happen to them. I mean, this could happen to anybody. This isn't something, and especially the fact that you've had all of this experience beforehand, that it's kind of one of those things that if this could happen to you, it could happen to anybody, Yeah, you know, and to keep that in mind. You know, and I think, yeah, I kind of got a little little bit long-winded about some some of these stories, and these stories are not as interesting as, well, I mean, just like wilderness first aid and safety and preparation it's all pretty boring compared to you know the normal hunting stories and catching up on you know your latest adventure when you when you guys are sharing those stories it's a lot more interesting than the boring stuff of workout be in shape be prepared that's all boring but <laughs> no <Nope>. I, <hope, laughs> I hope there's at least a few people that are going to hear this and think just pause and think you, you know what's in my pack yeah or what would i what would yeah. I have done? Or I hope people are, I hope people at least think about that a little bit and maybe even make a few changes going into their next trip. Totally. I've totally. already adjusted my first aid kit. Yeah. Yeah. I would, <laughs> and I would say, I would just say to, to kind of 
to kind of look at that a different way, I think this has been interesting, just as interesting as any hunting stories or anything like that. And at the same time, it's been informative. It's mm-hmm. not just talking about an experience. It's talking about the nuts and bolts that of things that people need to really think about. So I think it's been both. And well, I the think nuts and bolts that end up in your leg when you break. It. <laughs> right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, good deal. Well, Paul, thanks again. Thanks again for coming on and um, we'll have to have you back on. And this, this is like we said, it's a full house tonight. We've got all of us sitting here and it's been good to hear from you and hear your experience and hope the leg heals up and looking forward to hearing about the trips, you know, you've got coming up too with your son. So yeah. guys, thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much for the support. We'll continue to, to bring you this podcast as long as we can. And hopefully it's helpful to you and, and you learn something and, and hopefully, um, like we always say, we'd love for you to share your stories with us as well. So this is the Contact Outdoors crew signing off for tonight, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. The Contact Outdoors crew would like to send out a sincere thank you to all of our listeners. The Backcountry Dreaming Podcast is brought to you by Contact Outdoors and directed by Brian Holberg. Original music and audio production by Dakota Rankin. Connect with us online Links to our website, Instagram, and Facebook can be found in the show notes.